welcome to the She Research Podcast. I'm your host, Kate McKay, and I'm joined today by Narcis Gina, who's here to talk to us about his paper, Australian Regulation of Autologous Human Cell and Tissue Products, Implications for Commercial Stem Cell Clinics, which is forthcoming in the Journal of Regenerative Medicine, I think. It's out. (laughs) Excellent. Great. So, Narcis, this is a co-authored paper? Yes, it is. So it's co-authored with Professor Cameron Stewart, who works at the Sydney School of Law here, and also Professor Megan Munsey, who's based in Mel- at Melbourne University and works with uh, Stem Cells Australia. And also there's Christopher Rudge, who's a legal scholar. So they basically, their job was to keep me honest. I was the, <laughs> I was the person mainly responsible for putting this paper together, but they, with their expertise, advised me and made sure that I had covered all the bases and had done the right things. Oh, great. Um, Cool. Because I don't have any legal training, so I okay. needed that support. Yeah. Interesting. So is this uh, a legal paper, would you say? From one perspective, it is. I mean, <laughs> it is a legal analysis of sorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, I'm, what I find interesting about it is, to me, I don't separate legal from bioethical issues. I think they're so interrelated that every legal uh, analysis, legislation, always have bioethical implications. And I think this paper does try to draw some of that out. Mm. Uh, perhaps not as much as I would have liked mm. uh, because of the folks of the paper, but perhaps we can discuss some of those bioethical implications yeah. during the podcast. Yeah. I guess to start us off then, um, in a nutshell, what is the paper about? So basically, uh, this paper is about the regulation of stem cell therapies, and in particular, autologous stem cell therapies. Autologous means that they're stem cells which have been derived from the person's own body. Okay. So it's, say a doctor has extracted fat tissues from you, mm-hmm. processed, processed it in some way, and then reintroduced it into your body. Those are autologous human stem cells. So this paper is about those types of stem cells. And the concern was that prior to 2018, uh, the Therapeutics Goods Administration and actually regulators all around the world Uh, took a very light approach to regulating these products. Basically, they didn't consider them therapeutic goods, Mm. which meant that for all intents and purposes, uh, doctors were pretty much free to use these products as they uh, saw fit. Uh, And there were concerns raised around that, that, you know, all these stem cell clinics were popping up all over the place, providing these unproven therapies to the general public and also misleadingly advertising these these therapies. And so there was an outcry and and actually the, the project, so this project was part of an Australian Research Council grant, had a big influence in leading to these regulatory reforms. Mm. And the idea was we need to take a stricter approach to regulating these products to protect the Australian public from unproven therapies, non-evidence-based medicine. Interesting. So the idea here is that there are legal ways to use autologous stem cells under the current regulations that are actually not well backed up by research or possibly very risky? Well, that was the case previously. Okay. When it comes to regulating, I'll give you the example of off-label drug prescribing, which was my previous research, uh, what I have an interest in. And off-label drug prescribing is when doctors use an approved product in an unapproved way. Mm -hmm. So the product itself comes under therapeutics good regulation, 
But when a doctor chooses to use that product in an unapproved way, that's part of their clinical judgment. That's mm-hmm. regulated under a different system. Mm-hmm. So from one perspective, you could say they're experimenting. They're using a, an unapproved product outside of a clinical trial. Mm-hmm. From other perspective, you could say, no, they're just applying their clinical judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in effect, what had happened previously was this practice was left in the realm of clinical judgment. The Therapeutics Good Administration had nothing to do with it. Okay. So now, basically what happened in 2018, the Therapeutic Goods Administration stepped up and said, no, we're now regulating these products. And and they took quite a strict approach, actually, which mm. effectively on what we discuss in this paper made a lot of the services provided by stem cell clinics uh, no longer legal for them to provide, mm. um, at least without further uh, licensing. Mm. So what were the motivations for writing the paper? Motivated out of the kind of legal interest or out of the harm interest or maybe a bit of both? Both. So it was first the issues I had previously mentioned about Mm -hmm. the fact that these products were poorly regulated or perceived to be poorly regulated, leading to exploitation of the public. Mm -hmm. And then also the introduction of these new regulatory reforms. So part of the purpose of this paper was to say, well, what are the implications of these regulatory reforms? How might stem cell clinics react Mm -hmm. to these reforms? Mm -hmm. Uh, Are there further loopholes they might take advantage of, for instance, Mm -hmm. which we believe may be the case. Interesting. Yeah. So I am curious to know if there were um, any kind of challenges or barriers that you faced when you were writing the paper. I wonder maybe more generally, if this is a challenging area to work in, to research on? Not really, because this was not a uh, empirical paper in the sense of actually going out and speaking to people and mm-hmm. interviewing people. Uh, I assume that would be an issue if that were the case. This was mainly a, you know, a review of regulation, which required me to basically understand the regulatory system, how it works, the different layers of regulation. So you have national regulation, you have state regulation, Mm -hmm. and then the difference between legislation and regulation, then the determinations and orders. So I learned a lot about (laughs) the hierarchy of laws and the hierarchy of... uh, That sounds complicated. It it was complicated, and that's why I was fortunate to have the support of people like (laughs) Professor Cameron Stewart and Dr. Christopher Rudge, who are trained lawyers, and they could, you know, help me out and make sure that I wasn't doing anything wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the main kind of bottom line of this paper? The main bottom line, I think, is effectively what the Australian regulatory reforms around autologous human stem cells uh, have done is made stem cell clinics obsolete. I mean, they just can't. Well, they just can't do what they were doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, the description which the regulation uses is there are three categories uh, which the regulators have have established. The first category are excluded products. The second category is exempted products. And the third category are fully regulated products. So if stem cells are going to be used within a hospital, Then they're considered excluded. The TGA wants nothing to do with that. They assume that within the hospital setting, there's enough governance structures in place to ensure the safety and and, uh, to ensure that patients aren't being exploited and they're being treated appropriately. Can I ask a question just on that? So that means that 
things that are excluded here, that simply means that they are covered by some other piece of legislation. Yes, yeah, some other governance structure. Okay. Exactly. So something will be making sure that they're safe and effective. Exactly. Okay. Now, stem cell clinics, which operate as, as private businesses, effectively, mm -hmm. they can continue to use exempted products. Now, exempted products are those which the TGA calls minimally manipulated okay. and for uh, homologous use. So basically, by minim minimal manipulation, it's talking about the manufacturing process. So these cells cannot be manufactured in a way which may change their nature. So you might actually change the properties of these cells, which could have unpredictable consequences to the patient. Mm -hmm. uh, and for homologous use means that the tissues and cells basically have to be used in the same way uh, that the body naturally uses them. So for instance, uh, if I extract fats from your body, then I'll and I inject it into your lips in order to give you more plump lips, well, that's a function that fat actually plays into the human body. That's a homologous use. But if I take fat cells and in, inject it into your joints, mm. now I'm using fat cells for a purpose they are not naturally used for in the body. So mm -hmm. that would be a non-homologous use. Okay. So basically, if you look at the details of how these things are defined, what stem cell clinics have been offering up until these regulatory reforms came into play would not qualify as an exempted product, okay. which would mean if they want to continue providing those services, they would either have to partner with a hospital, become a hospital, or they would have to get their products fully regulated and go through the normal process as you would for any other medicine. Go mm -hmm. to the TGA, make an application, get the product registered. So in effect, um, yeah, so it was, it was actually really interesting and quite, in my view, I think they took a quite a strict approach mm. towards stem cell clinics. Now, Enforcement is a different issue. <laughs> <laughs> and this paper is an analysis paper, really, of the regulations and stuff. Yeah. But as an ethicist, I really feel compelled to ask you if you think that this is better. Like, if you think that the fact that the stem cell clinics aren't able to operate the way they did before, does that represent an improvement? I think so. Yeah. And uh, I haven't you know, thought about it deeply enough to give a definite opinion, <laughs> but I, I definitely think so. I mean, there was, there appeared to clearly be a profit motive behind a lot of these stem cell clinics. Mm -hmm. um, you know, basically, if we can provide these services and people are willing to take them, um, and as long as we're, you know, they seem to be relatively safe as long as we're not harming anybody and they're expensive, you know, mm -hmm. these treatments were not cheap, you know, that could can be considered a bit exploitative. Mm. And then also there are harms. I mean, even when it comes to products that could be deemed relatively safe, to undergo stem cell therapy requires, you know, liposuction, for mm -hmm. instance. And there can be complications associated with that. And actually one of the, in I think it was 2018, 2017, there was a death from the complications oh. of liposuction. Mm -hmm. So there are always risks when it comes to these things. Mm -hmm. So are the risks warranted, given that these products are unproven and the evidence base is quite poor? Probably not. So I think what this regulation has done well, it's either forced clinics to go and get the evidence and get the product registered, or make sure that these products are being used within a, a setting where 
the motivations and interests are not commercial, say, mm -hmm. or less commercial, let's say, in a hospital setting. Mm -hmm. I guess it's time for us to wrap up already. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder if there's anything that you want to leave the listeners with, any kind of takeaway message or maybe where you're going with this research. So my main interest here really is the fact that the regulatory systems that we have in place, in my view, are quite outdated. Mm. You know, they were developed in the 1960s, you know, mainly in response to thalidomide tragedy. Mm -hmm. And uh, medical technology has progressed. You know, we, we, what, you know, medicines aren't just these things you push out of a blister pack anymore and swallow with a glass of water or a, a product you pull off the shelf and implant in somebody. You know, I think what's really interesting about autogos stem cell therapies is it's not just a product, it's also a procedure. Mm -hmm. It's also a manufacturing process. And all of these things are lumped into one. Mm. You know, it's not like the product is being manufactured in a factory and I'm getting this packet at the end of the process and I just have to take the medicine. No, you know, there's a procedure involved. I have to extract the cells. I have to manufacture it in-house. Yeah. And then I have to re-inject it and reintroduce it into your body. Mm. Where does that fall into, you know, in terms of classifying things as products or devices or, or medical practice, for instance. So to me, it made sense. I mean, I understand why the TJ didn't want to get involved with regulating these products initially. Mm -hmm. But I think what this uh, highlights is the fact that regulators need to adapt in the 21st century to all of these new medical technologies that are entering the market. Mm -hmm. And which, you know, hybrid technologies, co-dependent technologies, these types of um, human cell and tissue products, we need to rethink what regulation in the 21st century looks like. So that's what I'm really interested in, and that's where my research is headed in that direction. Cool. Well, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. That was really interesting. Thank you so and much. Anybody who's interested in reading the paper can take a look at the link at the bottom of this episode's notes. Thanks so much for joining me on the She Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, you can find us on Spotify or Anchor or wherever else you get your podcasts of quality. Thanks for listening. Bye.